You're listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. This is part two of the interview with Ben Bartlett. Ben Bartlett is the architect of the Berkeley tokenized debt offering. It's first of its kind to create a blockchain-based municipal bond. He's a professional and a partner at the San Francisco office of Tocket Bartlett LLP, where he counsels blockchain entrepreneurs, governments, funds, and more. Now let's jump right into this episode where we talk about the future of Bitcoin, ICO initial coin offerings, governments, digital currency, and much, much more. All right, let's start. Welcome to the Silicon Valley Podcast with your host, Sean Flynn, who interviews famous entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and leaders in tech. Learn their secrets and see tomorrow's world today. You'd mentioned blockchain being rolled out here in California and, and possibly countrywide. Are there any examples of kind of global efforts that blockchain is being used? So <laughs> blockchain is really advanced in Asia. So Vietnam, Korea, and now China has really gone all in. China has announced blockchain as part of its five-year economic plan. They are, they, they have most of the, the, what they call the, the nodes, these validation servers for, for some of the major currencies, even though the currencies aren't legal, they're all in. They're also um, using blockchain technology for other, other, other purposes involving like all aspects of government. And they're about to unleash what could be the biggest game changer of this era in time their state coin. I've heard it called the People's Coin, like the People's Republic of China, right? People's Coin. Really amazing to think about. The People's Coin would be a digital currency backed by, I'm told, billions and billions and billions of pounds of gold <laughs> and whatever else China wants to back it with, controlled through their central banking system and pushed out through their major commerce, e-commerce channels like WeChat, Alibaba, Tencent, it tends to come, WeChat, Alibaba, and whatever else, and straight to consumers who can use them to buy online and really just, I don't know, just transform the speed of capital because it's so fast. It's frictionless. And then the next step, probably not next step, at the same time, I know they will be applying it around their One Belt, One Road initiative, development goals. For your listeners, the One Belt, One Road initiative, I think it's the largest capital expenditure in human history. This is a multi-trillion dollar effort by China to create land-based trade routes around much of the world, the multiple continents, recreating the Silk Road, if you will, as a trade routes. So these are a network of high-speed rail lines, fuel transport, electrical transport and energy and, and telecom transport cables and pipes and whatnot and high-speed rail and bridges all through Central Asia and North Africa, West Africa, sorry, North Africa, East Africa, India. And it's meant to, to be the land routes of trade for the next, next two generations or more or however long. And so, but as China's developing these massive, massive projects and miles of development through these countries, they're seeking to develop local economies. 
local economies are important to China because they become markets for their goods. So when you come through town and build a bridge and for the rail project, you want this town right there to work on it a bit and participate and be able to become a partner in the growth because then that's more sustainable uh, long-term economic growth for, for both parties, all parties, since it's trade, right? Multi, multinational trade. But what's happening is as they're paying local labor in the Chinese currency, local labor, because there's no market for it outside of where they are, they're having to turn around and flip it into U.S. dollars. <laughs> so China is obviously not happy about that. This, this people's coin can be issued to those individuals and those, co those companies along the, the One Belt Road Initiative for goods and labor, and et cetera, and then they can just redeem it and spend it in that ecosystem and then evade the primacy of the dollar. This hardcore geo, geo strategy, you know, that is tremendous. And I think the only thing comparable to it is the Facebook Libra coin, which is pr probably going to emerge as the United States competing digital currency. And this is a bit of a different setup. It's, it's Facebook-led, and Facebook is, is advantaged here because in much of the areas where the One Belt, One Road initiative is, India, Africa, etc., Facebook's there. And Facebook is known as the internet. Yeah, they, 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 they don't say internet, they say Facebook. So they're already there and they're already used to paying on their phones for stuff. And so Facebook would set up this payment, this digital currency called Libra coin, I think Libra. And it would be, it's for people to pay each other around, around the world via this platform. And then also to put smart contracts on it. So the kind of things we just described, right? And the kind of things China's talking about as well can be programmed on top of Libra. Another fundamental difference between the People's Coin and Libra Coin is that the Libra Coin is sort of backed by, at this point, backed by a basket of currencies. So they got a bit of yen, got some francs, got some dollars, you know, all bundled up here, held in a pot, and that money generates interest. So the people working on it who own them are big corporations like Visa, Although they're dropping out, but they'll be back, I think. That's my prediction. They'll, they'll be back, and as soon as China introduces coin, they will be on board immediately. And so the big corporations there, they maintain the pots and, I guess, share in this and receive the interest payments. They're in bank accounts or they're invested or something. So it's people putting their $5 in Libra, and Libra collects interest on it, and the people just use the $5. So it's an interesting dynamic. There's probably a third version that may be even a better deal for people where they get the interest. <laughs> so, but hasn't China kind of outlawed Bitcoin and some of these other cryptocurrencies? Yes, they have. <laughs> They've outlawed them for sure, which is smart if you're going to have a digital currency and you want to dominate it. The, the people's coin uh, will be the one that's recognized and Bitcoin is not. However, the, the, the mining and the nodes of it are all in China. The major platforms that exist, the groups of people that have servers that, that traffic in them and validate them. And, you know, like when, and then just for your listeners, a node is um, like a small server array that processes things that are happening. So like 
in the instance from earlier when I said, I gave you $1, you gave her $3, she gave me $2, and it showed up on our screen at the same time. Well, as it showed up, it showed up because these nodes got it and did these weird computations to prove it. And so that's why it's there. Those nodes are the ones who sort of drive the, the utilization of all these blockchain coins, blockchain-based coins, cryptocurrencies. So, and they're all in China. <laughs> Not all, but, you know, many, many, many. I think the majority of the major ones are in China because they're, they're able to get it. They're able to have cheap electricity and they're, they're committed to it. So it's interesting to see how that's going to play out. <laughs> Talking about Bitcoin and that, in the past, ICOs, initial coin offerings, were in the news all the time. With your law degree background and your experience, is that dead? What's happening? What's happening in that area? Yeah, so that's interesting. You know, um, the ICOs, initial coin offerings, these are the crowdfunding events, right? Your listeners probably you know about IPOs, initial public offerings. Well, IPOs are are great if you're rich. So, <laughs> you know, Uber or whatever is going to go public and go on the stock market. They let people buy in ahead of time and. Then when a day comes out, they can buy the shares and they've already gone up to $400 a share or $6,000 a share, you name it. And it's funny, before the ICO revolution, if you looked at a map on the wall, the map of the globe, you would see the, the overwhelming concentration of IPO dollars and companies all in one part of the world, <laughs> Silicon Valley, Bay Area, right? San Francisco and... A, eight miles south. <laughs> and so, but then the ICOs happen because again, right? There's not much capital velocity. If it's going straight from the investment bank to the investor who lives in the same town where the startup office is, where the company is, right? That's three people getting the money. And in response to that, that need for capital velocity, the people, the market, the innovators, the renegades, the people I represent, they, they came up with a ways to crowdfund it themselves. So all of a sudden, the IPO map then corresponds to the ICO map. And the ICO map is completely decentralized. You see products all over the world getting funding from people all over the world. And that was amazing. That was an amazing moment in history. Uh, we'd be lucky if we could ever get reproduced. However, because it was just a bunch of, a bunch of people just doing it, there weren't the, the safeguards in place. So many of the companies weren't that legit or they couldn't get it done or there were frauds or it was game time and there was no rigorous protocol to, for a company to, do, to, to prove its product, right, to make you invest in it. So many of the companies, many of the coins lost value and went under. <laughs> and so that was, a, that was a bummer. But luckily, many of the investments uh, were small because these were ordinary people investing. So you don't have the same impact. It's important to remember, you do not have the same impact from the ICO era as you do from the like mortgage collapse and the securities, the savings and loans collapses of the 80s and 90s, right? You don't have that because you just spent 40 bucks on some tokens for a fun experiment, right? And then... But many of the companies did make it and are building out right now. 
and they're doing some amazing things in every single field imaginable, from energy to healthcare to telecommunications to money, uh, which is amazing. So, but the ICOs themselves began to be prosecuted as violations of the laws that protect investors, right? So, but the problem is in protecting investors, you protect them out of making money. The rules are sort of set up where only what they call qualified investors, these very wealthy people, can engage the markets. And so they're safe because they have money in the bank. And that's kind of how the rules are, 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 are planned. People who can afford to take risk can risk. But those who want to take risk are legally not allowed to. Oh, of course, after ICOs came what they call STOs, right? Security token offerings. And that's where these are compliant uh, with U.S. securities laws. And they are more, they're stated financial instruments. Like this token is like a stock. And therefore, you have to be one of these qualified investors to buy it. There was hope that that was going to be the next ICO wave. But you see, there's so few people that are qualified investors that fill the need to experiment with crypto tokens, right? <laughs> they want to tokenize buildings, tokenize hotels, right? Tokenize elements. That market is definitely looming, and I'm a part of it. I advise a company that's tokenizing gold in Africa and mines and funding mine development and letting these tokens represent a piece of market stability, which is commodities like gold. So it's cool. I'm excited about it. But I think the, the real growth will be when the marketplace on its own comes up with the new crowdfunding mechanism because they're not going to, the people will never sit by and watch you hands dealing the money again. They just won't, they won't accept it. They don't have to. Any smart kid on a laptop can create the next revolution. So you see hints of this, right? Some of the exchanges embracing what they call initial exchange offerings where it's just, where essentially an exchange is the, the markets your token and pushes it out to its people to buy. And the token should be, I don't want to get in the weeds here, the token should not be a security, it should be what they call a utility token, which is just a, a key to let you open the door and operate inside the system, as opposed to a security token, which lets you own a piece of something on the system, right? Like own a piece of a house or some gold, right? In the IEOs, again, that's kind of around the, stranglehold of the exchanges right because they're the platforms that's they can pick and maybe that's good because they can have they can have higher standards they can pick good projects maybe that's good we'll see though we'll see i think i think the renegades will design their own marketplace again anytime the more the state embraces blockchain <laughs> and takes it because that's the that's what's happening next the movement is institutions governments and large companies. So Walmart is doing a massive blockchain-based supply chain system. IBM is leading, leading the way of other companies embracing blockchain. I mentioned China, right, and Facebook. JP Morgan, the large investment bank, they have their, their JPM coin that they use internally. And internally for them is massive, right, for settlements and more on the way. All the large banking institutions have, have all these patents filed how to use blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies. I think, you know, you're going to see this merging of basically what is the internet and what is money to become this new internet of money. On one hand, you'll see it replicate the old internet, which is um, 
pretty much at this point, I think we the consensus is that it's helped consolidate wealth and power. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much what's what's what I think people agree on. And so you're gonna have that again replayed through the through the new crypto and blockchain economies. But unlike the old internet, the new internet of money allows ordinary people to create money and create their own marketplaces where you couldn't quite have that before. And the spirit of, of blockchain was born from the Bitcoin white paper, which I highly suggest your readers just read it short. It's like a technical uh, overview of a project or a product or something or in programming of a schema for a technological product. But the Bitcoin white paper reads more like a manifesto. It was born after the crash of 2008, seven, the Great Recession. And so the white paper comes right out and says it. This is about taking money back for the people. No more Wall Street control, people control. And that is a document that designed blockchain. Well, it existed, but this laid out the blockchain and the use of it, and use of currency, distributed currency that cannot be controlled. That's about shifting power back to people. And so that spirit is, is runs through all of this. And we hold our meetings. You know, I'm looking for ways to, to increase government interaction with blockchain and use cases that involve like major infrastructure elements like agriculture and shipping and whatnot. And, you know, I'm like, we got to get this stuff certified that we can insure them. If we can't insure them, we can't go to scale. And the people in the room from the industry are like, certify, screw you. You're not certifying nothing. We do our own thing. You don't control us. We make this. And this is, this is at high-level meetings, right? So I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I'm really refreshed that the, the young people and the renegades that were born of this movement will never be contained. And so the, the ICO revolution is only stalled. It is not over. What is your opinion of Bitcoin now and in the future? You know, it's, just, it's fascinating. It's a um, cryptocurrencies. Well, Bitcoin, of course, is one of the purest ones. Because it's a store of digital value. Now, there's a few ways to look at this. So on the one hand, cryptocurrency is a data packet. You can pack in all the instructions and background. Like for instance, I, when I was running for a higher office, I had a, a campaign token called the Benji coin. <laughs> and the Benji coin, if you possessed it, inside of it were all my speeches, all my YouTube links, all my writings, a liquid democracy formula. You helped me vote on projects. But if you looked at it, it just looked like a, a coin with my face on it. <laughs> and so, these, and there were also instructions for it. Like you couldn't, you couldn't do certain things that violate campaign laws with it because it, it was written into the language. So a cryptographic coin is a data packet with instructions. And sometimes the instructions have value, sometimes not. When they don't have value, it's like I said, it's like a key. It's meant to open up a door to use a platform. Like you know, with this, you can go on the Airbnb platform and go rent a house and a car. But Bitcoin, the first one, is meant to purely be a store of value. And there's only, I think, 21 million of them allowed to exist. <laughs> They're divisible, though. Each one can be divided, I think, 100,000 times or something. These Satoshi sats, right? The Bitcoin element itself is something that fans agree is awesome. People believe in it. 
And that's the alchemy of money right there. When people believe in a thing, it has value. Whether it's stamps or comic books or anything that we trade, right? What's interesting on this is on, on a deeper level with Bitcoin and why it's so important, why, why it's so valuable, besides the fact it's the first, it's the heaviest. Because each Bitcoin, uh, in order to be validated or created, has to be mined, right? requires these computers to do these extensive mathematical formulas. You have to just do these crazy formulas. It use, they use a lot of electricity. It's so much juice goes into one coin. What it is, it's step-down electricity into one packet. It's a ball of electricity. And electricity in this era is a, three things at once. It's information. You see that with the internet, right? Uh, it's, uh, it's energy, electric cars and solar panels and the lights and here where we are now, and it's currency. That amount of electricity encapsulated in one form has a value. It's just by its nature. That's what people are missing when they, when they talk about Bitcoin. They're missing the fact that it, is, uh, it encapsulates electricity, which has a value in and of itself. Because it is the main currency that people use to trade back and forth. When you buy one, you buy it in Bitcoin, whatever. You know, I don't really speculate too much. I don't, I'm not into that part of the, the business. I'm more into the underlying technology and the blockchain part. But I think with its limited number that exists and with its brand name adoption and it's the main one everyone knows, I'd say it's, uh, <laughs> it's values without limit. Are there any companies that you're currently working on or working with or companies you are advising or on the board that are tackling some interesting problems that you'd like to share? We try to focus on clients that are working on projects that address poor human problems, right? Uh, wealth creation, poverty, environmental degradation, and just sort of just impact, if you will. We have one group working with, they're really exciting. Like I mentioned before, they're tokenizing gold and the gold is mined by these artisan miners who are small mom and pop miners and you know small towns and and getting them a fair price a good price helping them just just capitalize on their on their assets that they own and then of course bringing that out in communities that they live in to benefit from that's I'm excited about that another project to use the crowdfunding techniques that we came up with in Berkeley one group I'm working with, I'm really excited about these guys. They're finding ways to finance desalination and water generation plants around the world by crowdfunding on a global scale. Each desalination plant costs like a billion dollars, right? So, and we know that the world's going to be out of water in about 35 years, much of the world. So that's total collapse when the majority of the world's population is without fresh water. At that point, it's over. Nation states will, they won't be able to build enough walls because you're not going to sit there and just die of thirst. You're going to go to the water, wherever it is. The goal of this company is to build 1,200 mega scale water production facilities around the world. And uh, cause you figure we're in, a, we're in a planet made of water. Nobody should die of thirst. Figure out how to get the salt out of the water and drink it, <laughs> right out of the ocean and drink it. Figure it out, right? That's a big one to water access. Another one is tokenizing renewable energy, basically allowing people to participate in the grid, 
and to buy into electricity more readily through their phones for each other to create little these personal energy markets. Another company I'm really excited about is one that has a market around energy efficiency, making a building more efficient. And you can install some new light bulbs and lower the electricity electricity bill in such a way that the savings can be captured by the people doing it. And this one company, they're really adept at building up small, local, and minority-owned businesses to go out, hit these millions of buildings that need to be uh, retrofitted this way and made efficient, earning half of the savings. And so their, their blockchain mechanism that they're designing, uh, I think that, that they've designed in their smart contract system that they've written, it just automates that process and allows for a token economy to occur in that world for these small businesses and the buildings and the platform. So super exciting. I'm really, I'm really excited about them. Ben, this has been an amazing interview. If someone wants to find out more information about you or what you're currently working on, what's the best way to go about it? And in fact, could you give us a little snippet of what you're currently working on? Thank you. I'm doing some interesting things and I'd love to get input from people. In Berkeley, we're passing legislation to enable, enable crypto payments for cannabis because these local communities that sell cannabis are unable to get the tax payments. It's because the banks won't work with them. There's all these new apparatuses now to, at the point of sale, automatically send tax payments to the city and et cetera, et cetera. So that's a big one. And at the state of California, you know, working with these people to craft the rules for what they call sandbox or safe harbor rules. What should we allow companies to do in California? What should blockchain companies be allowed to do? How can we ease their way? And I've written a great framework around that. Called a calling for a California blockchain innovation zone. Uh, it's on my Medium page, Ben Bartlett at Medium. Check it out. It details, I think, a good public benefit framework for blockchain companies over on Medium, Ben Bartlett at Medium. And then, of course, as an advisor to companies, companies both large and small, about how to be sustainable, how to achieve market growth in these new territories, and how to just how to be thoughtful and how to how to get it. <laughs> and, and of course, my, my law firm, uh, my partner, Shane Tackett, and I, we work on some of the highest level operators in the blockchain space. We help them achieve their goals. And that's my law firm, TackettBartlett.com, T-A-C-K-E-T-T-B-A-R-T-L-E-T-T.com. Great. We'll have all those links in the show notes. So if anyone out there is looking for an amazing advisor, some coaching, someone that's an expert in this domain, we'll be able to reach out. So once again, Ben, I want to thank you for taking the time today to be on our show. I also want to thank Wendy Shrey, who was the one that introduced me to Ben, actually, when we were on a trip to Guayang about a year ago. Ben, do you want to give a little speech about what you were doing in Guayang at that time? Oh, my God, that was amazing. That was the best trip ever. So I went to Guayang to help set up a sister city with Berkeley and Guayang and the University of California, Berkeley. Berkeley University, UC Berkeley. And because Guayang was committed to becoming a data center, a data city. And so we went there to form an alliance and I got to hang out with so many great people and I made presentations and speeches. And at that time, you know, we think we had just passed the first iteration of this, of the micro bonds, the blockchain bonds. And so where I was talking about it, and that's where I learned about the One Boat Road, One Road Initiative and 
and how um, how the microbonds can be used to to facilitate infrastructure development on a global scale and and I was I fell in love with the place. The people were so amazing, so hospitable, and the scale of the buildings they were so big and yeah, I can't wait to go back. I had a great time and it was wonderful to meet you there. We were in a panel. That was a fun day. That was a good time. <laughs> so I will tweet some of these pictures out when the show goes live. So follow me at, at Sean Flynn, S H A W N F L Y N N S V. I'll do at Ben Bartlett USA. Great. Also, if you enjoyed the show today, please share with your friends. Leave us a great review on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use to. Uh, listen to this episode. And once again, I want to thank everyone out there for tuning into Silicon Valley. And Ben, once again, thank you for your time today. Right on. Thank you. All doors open. Thank you for listening to the Silicon Valley podcast. To access our resources, visit us at the siliconvalleypodcast.com and follow our host on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Sean Flynn SV. This show is for entertainment purposes only and is licensed by the Investors Podcast Network. Before making any decisions, consult a professional.